we'll probably have to have a follow-up podcast specifically about statistical significance. Hopefully we won't have to say it that many times because it's a tongue twister. So welcome to another episode of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. I am Rob, along with my co-host Nils Davis. Hey there. And we are excited to get back on the train. The podcast has been on a bit of a hiatus for a little while, if you couldn't tell, with some of our long-form interviews and especially uh, the editing that goes with that, we got a little overwhelmed. But we've been missing sharing our thoughts with you, the audience, so we're digging in again. As before, we'll have a mixture of the conversations between Nils and I, and we'll also bring in some interviewees, some people with additional thoughts around B2B software, product management, etc. So hopefully all of it will be under 30 minutes, and we'll get back to some of those really impactful, really tactical, short-term episodes. Yeah, that's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to getting a lot of these podcasts out there in fairly short form. That's going to be great. Since we last talked, I know we've both been keeping pretty busy. For me, probably the most interesting items for the listeners is that I've started to do some product management coaching on the side, especially for new or newish product managers, even people thinking about getting into product management. Um, If you're interested in that, you can check out nilsdavis.com slash coaching for a little more information. I also have a book that should be available before the end of the year. You'll recognize some of the content if you follow my blog at nilsdavis.com, and some of it's actually related to stuff we've talked on the podcast. But there's new information, and it's all tied together with a framework that I call the Secret Product Management Framework. And of course, the book is called The Secret Product Manager Handbook. The subtitle is really all the product management knowledge that no one told me when I started as a product manager. So keep an eye out for that. I think there's some useful information in there. So Rob, I know you've had a few interesting things go on since we've last talked. Tell me a little about those things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously we've both been pretty busy. The first thing that I want to talk about or, you know, mention is that I was super lucky and honored, frankly, to help pilot the first ambassador program for the Denver Startup Week. And what Denver Startup Week is, it's kind of a, a... a networking slash recruiting event for people both in the Denver ecosystem and those looking to enter it. And so I was part of a very small group of tech leaders from outside of Denver who were basically toured around and introduced to some of the top tech companies in the Denver ecosystem and had a great opportunity to share ideas, connect with other good leaders. And frankly, it was a blast. Um, Even more frankly, it probably ruined my normal conference experiences from this point forward. I really can't compare anything I've been to before to the the level of great conversations, the direct access to some of the best thought leaders in the conference space. So it probably ruined all future future experiences for me. But I'm doing a wrap-up blog post, and if anybody follows me on Medium, You'll see it there. Or maybe you should now follow him on Medium is the point. That is definitely a subtext. If you don't, go for it, Uh, which is at Rob McGordy, but it shouldn't shouldn't be too hard to find. Also, if you're in Denver and you want to get more connected to the ecosystem or if you're interested in moving to Denver, shoot me a note. I'm rob at alltheresponsibility.com, and I'll connect you with people who can help. Beyond that, 
as a more consistent ongoing side project, I've been working on a thing called the PM Genome Project, which is our attempt, me and a couple other folks, to bring some clarity to the ambiguous career path of, of product managers. It's it's a dark and murky process to figure out how you're growing and whether or not you're progressing in a career as a PM, especially when titles don't change for many, many years at a time. It can be hard to understand where you are and, and how to grow. So right now we're working on a framework to plot that career path, as well as generating as much statistical evidence as we can to inform and flesh out the network. Um, we're also beginning to partner with conferences and teaching programs so that we can help align the content and the training to the framework. Right now, though, we're producing just a single statistical report that helps summarize the data we've collected so far. We're planning to do an interview, in fact, on this podcast with some of the co-founders of the project at some point soon. So keep an ear out for that. And if you want to follow the project more closely or get a copy of the report, check out pmgenome.org. And that's exactly as it sounds, p-m-g-e-n-o-m-e.org. And of course, we'll have links to all this on the website. Definitely been busy on this side. And I know, Nils, you have been too. What are we going to talk about today, though? Well, you know, we've been talking to, as part of these side gigs, and obviously just as part of our regular jobs, we've been talking to new and experienced product managers. And we've noticed some interesting patterns that we kind of want to share about product management. Irrespective of the domain that you're working in or whether you know the product or not, there are certain things that are going to be happening in the organization that you can probably spot and maybe make a difference on, even if you don't know the domain of your new job. And we always say as product managers, well, the domain isn't as important as our product management skills at the core. And in this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about what are those things that you've learned as a product manager that are going to be applicable to any company that you might join or that you might be working in now. Yep. And it's a good refresher for those that are at a job for a little while. It's a great chance to step back, reevaluate whether or not you're tackling these problems effectively because they really do exist in every organization. And so hopefully this is one of those topics that everyone can see some value in and get going on some fixes. That's right. So as a new product manager, you can immediately start to work on some of these problems or take some actions. If you're new, a new addition to an existing team with some experience, again, you've got incredibly valuable opportunity to, to take some actions here. And even if you've been in a company for a while, you can put on what Rob uh, described as beginner's mind to help step back and sort of see how you can do some basic stuff to help make the company and the product and your activities more effective. Yep. And I want to touch on something, Nils, you you mentioned there was as a new person, you can start to impact these things quickly. And I don't want to underestimate the power of the first 90 or 100 days because that's really your first chance to kind of come in and say, hey, this is weird. Let me ask a question naively and maybe get an answer that nobody internal has gotten in a long time. So definitely take advantage of any newness or any ability to go in and ask those questions that others are maybe afraid to. So leverage that even if you are new. Yeah. You may hear, well, we've always done it that way, but that's often an opportunity or signal that says there's a potential for rethinking that process or improving it or something like that. Definitely. That's a big flag to say opportunity. Opportunity. Exactly. And you know, realistically, you're not going to start changing the whole product organization in that first week that you start, or even in the first 100 days. And 
I want to remind listeners that we do have a podcast about the first 100 days with a checklist. You can find that on the website. But you can start seeing things that are questionable that maybe seem outmoded or efficient or backwards or that maybe you did differently in your last job and maybe you can bring some of that knowledge into the new job to help improve the situation as you get settled in. You know, and if things continue to seem broken, you can start to improve them over time. Definitely. So Nils, what's our first common problem? I think you and I for sure both agree, and I think we hear this all the time, and that is making sure that you're talking to the customers. Our job as product managers is to find problems out in the market and to create solutions for those. And the only way to do that is to go out and talk to the market. And that market is your customers, could be your prospects, could be prospects that you lost. But the point is you need you can't be inventing that stuff inside the building. You need to be outside the building, talking to people that have the problems that you're trying to solve and understanding, you know, what's going on with them. And that often gets lost in the sort of fun and excitement of, oh, we're building a cool solution. Let's work on the UX. And that's all great. And as technologists, we love that. But we have to always be coming back to, am I really solving a problem? Am I solving the problem the best way I could? Is there more to this problem that I'm that I'm currently solving that will give us an advantage and give, make my customer's life better? Things like that. Yep. And I've always looked at it in that specific lens that you touched on right at the end is, what is the actual problem that the customer is facing that I'm trying to solve for? Because it can be really easy to get stuck in, as we'll talk about some metrics, or you know, are we driving more traffic? Are we increasing conversion rate? Yes, those are all important things to understand, and they're, they're critical to the health of the company. But it doesn't matter if you're not solving the customer's problem. And usage and all of these other types of metrics that again, are good for understanding the health of your product are different. And they're very, very different than focusing on whether or not you are driving an outcome for the customer. And I was sharing with Nils a little bit before this that there are there are times when, as a company, you step back and you question weird signals, things that are very, very weak in the market, whether it's ticket trends or you know, close loss reason codes or customer feedback that feels, it's just a gut feeling. It feels like it's related to each other, but you can't really put a finger on it. And it's usually, if you're going to look at the backlog of tickets or customer feedback, it's usually the really annoying stuff that you're like, man, that maybe it's when you are tempted to call the customer dumb or you're tempted to say, fine, we'll just do that tiny little thing so that we'll knock out this one, one problem. But usually what sits underneath that is a more fundamental concern from the customer. And I was, I was telling Nils that about a year ago at, at my company, we kind of stumbled upon this. And it was amazing how clear it made the rest of our roadmap, what we were doing, how we can get ahead of competitors, how we can solve, I mean, dozens, dozens of customer complaints or customer concerns with one fell swoop. Now, it wasn't an easy thing to solve, but that's part of the reason why nobody had done it. And it's part of our opportunity to get ahead of the market and solve so many customer problems all at once. So I really want to underscore that, that focusing on customer problems is absolutely critical. Yeah, We talk about it all the time. And I've had many blog posts, we've had many podcast episodes about that customer problem, but it continues to be 
where you're going to create the value. The value is solving problems better than the competitor solve problems, solving problems that nobody solved before, all those things. And you have the only way to find them is to be out talking to customers. So another big thing that you can do is working with the rest of the organization. And that can that starts often from day one as as a new product manager. And again, this is something that's in that 100 days podcast that I mentioned earlier. But making sure that you're creating relationships with all the other stakeholders within the company, not just customers, but people like customer support, people like sales who you're, you're asking to sell your product to customers, people like marketing, you're trying to help them understand how to communicate to the market about your product, and so on and so forth. You really want to create these relationships so that you're all working together and aligned. So all the woods behind the arrow, I guess, is one of the phrases. And you can also draw institutional knowledge from those folks. So for example, it's great to talk to customers and learn about their problems, but you can also get insights into customer problems by talking to customer support. Because you can learn things that maybe questions that customers ask that customer support doesn't know how to answer. Those might indicate a problem that you need to, a new problem that you should solve with a new feature. Or you might understand that, oh, customers always ask about this particular thing, but we actually have a solution for it. Well, maybe that's a go-to-market problem where you're just not telling the customers effectively how to make use of the product. Those are just two quick examples of benefits you can get by having these really good relationships, two-way relationships with other stakeholders. Yep. And if you extend this a little bit higher up the food chain, let's just say, to the people listening who are managing other product managers or are in charge of the entire roadmap or, or large sections where there are multiple stakeholders and there's a lot riding on it. Maybe it's a major feature release that's going to get some press coverage. Getting those conversations so that everyone is supporting this launch or this feature or this roadmap is really, really critical. And there's all these conversations about you know how to manage up and how to make sure that how to deal with disagreements about roadmaps, all of these things. A lot of it really comes down to basic communication. And we're all guilty of it. Everybody, I'm sure, Nils, I definitely have struggled at times to convey something or share it early enough or get feedback so that somebody else is on board before the idea is crystallized or before it's in development. And those really become the building blocks of having a strong organization that knows where it's going and is ready to close ranks, frankly, whenever something goes wrong. The last thing you want is for somebody in customer support to even think for a moment, oh man, I just got a bunch of calls because product screwed up this thing, right? The fact that they even have that thought process means you didn't communicate well enough. And if, if instead you are communicating, there's a good chance that person's going to go, oh, okay, we tried something and it didn't work. So I'm going to pull my end and say, hey, Mr. Customer, hey, Mrs. Customer, I'm really sorry this thing isn't working, but trust me, when we get it fixed, you're going to love what it does. Right. And, and even getting the insights before that all happens, right? So that it's not just you as the product manager, the very big brain product manager who has to figure out what should be done about a particular problem, but you're getting the benefits of everybody else's insight. Everyone's smart in these, you know, we work in companies where the criteria is really high for everyone being very customer focused and very interested in solving problems, partly because it benefits them, of course, to have a good product out there. And so 
if you have these good relationships, you can make use of those to help you do a better job as well. You're kind of saying that, but it's I, I kind of reiterated it. <laughs> it's always good to hear it again is in as many ways as possible. And that's another example of communicating well with those in different organizations because they may need to hear it five different ways for it to finally make sense. And that's okay. One of the things you learn about in communication is you do have to repeat yourself. You have to say things in different ways and you have to keep at it. Absolutely. So speaking of keeping at it, I think our, our final point here, common problem is not, again, getting back to the customer data, or sorry, the customer problem situation, not tracking the real outcomes that matter. Everybody wants to be data-driven. Everybody wants to have their dashboard of metrics, and they want to make sure that they're measuring it accurately and drawing conclusions and driving their strategy based on it. But at the end of the day, those metrics, those things that you're tracking, have to relate to the outcomes that matter. And sometimes those outcomes have to relate to the business outcomes. Are you generating enough revenue? Are you signing enough new customers? Are you maintaining those customers for long enough? Those are all really critical metrics to track. But don't lose sight of the core metrics that will help you identify whether you're driving value to a customer or not. And those are the types of things that go beyond, again, activation rate or onboarding success or... Uh, number of clicks or number of actions. If you can find a way to get deeper and really track the type of impact that you're having on a customer, then you have a North Star metric. And a key thing here also is that you should have some expectation and some tracking mechanism for basically every decent sized feature that you release. And you should have not only the metric in place before you launch it, but you should have some expectations of what the number will look like in a good scenario, and how that tracks to organizational or customer impact. Right. And I'm actually going to make a little comment here. Sometimes these are qualitative metrics. They're not necessarily quantitative. For example, I have worked mostly in smaller companies where we had relatively small numbers of customers, you know, in the hundreds or the low thousands. And the fact is that in those kinds of situations, it's really hard to get statistical significance from metrics. But if you talk to customers and they say, I love your product, or without your product, I couldn't do X, there's a lot of data embedded into a story like that from a customer. And so not only should you have some metrics for how you expect the feature to be used, as Rob mentioned, but I don't think it's a bad idea to have some stories that you expect customers to tell about the feature. Absolutely. We'll probably have to have a follow-up podcast specifically about statistical significance. Hopefully we won't have to say it that many times because it's a tongue twister. <laughs> but that is one of my biggest pet peeves of people drawing conclusions off of metrics that don't have significance at all. I, I have another one. I have another topic for that podcast. And, and so we'll, and that's that not all distributions are normal distributions. So we can combine those two topics into a really interesting podcast that will make a lot of people angry, potentially. Start some arguments. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I, I totally agree. I think the summary on that point is focus the things that you track and the things you pay attention to for meaningful outcomes, and they don't all have to be numerical. It'd be great if you can put a number on something that's truly trackable, but don't forget the qualitative, the feedbacks, the stories, the, the comments that come from customers as well. There are plenty of metrics out there that both them going up and them going down can indicate goodness or badness. And so you don't want to optimize for those. <laughs> Absolutely. Quick summary, 
are three things that are common across product organizations that will cause problems or should be addressed are the focus, the true focus on customer problems, not just features, not just specs, um, working well with other parts of the company across lines into support, into sales, into marketing and account management, making sure that those lines of communication are clear, open and aligned in the right direction. And then identifying the real outcomes and tracking them effectively and not getting lost in a sea of metrics that are not meaningful or not impactful. Right. So what can you start doing today, Rob? Well, you know, simple answer, go talk to a customer if you're not doing it already. If you happen to have heard some of our past podcasts or basically any other product thinker out there who tells you to go talk to a customer, then maybe the next step is to take a step back and think about the weak signals. See if you can start identifying those nagging, annoying, consistent feedback points that part of your brain wants to just go and throw them all away. And the other part goes, but they're all so consistent. And see if you can find a way to draw that into a larger, more insightful customer problem. Yep. Uh, one of the key points about weak signals is that in order to detect them, you have to have a lot of conversations. You, you might hear something from one customer and you might say, oh, that is crazy. That doesn't make any sense to me. But if you hear that from 10, suddenly the signal has strengthened, right? It started as a weak signal. It's now strengthened. And you have to start saying, it's not they that are crazy. It is me that is crazy. And I have to figure out what I can do about this problem. Yep. And another additional note on that one is don't forget the negative signals. So things where somebody doesn't do a thing that you'd expect them to, or they don't want to use your tool for a thing that you've built it for. That's indicative. Yeah, it's a really good one. So what's number two, Nils? So we talked about getting to know and starting to work effectively with other folks in the organization. And so one of the first things to do, of course, is to make sure you're doing stuff with those people, whether it's going to lunch with them, having conversations, sitting down with the customer support person and exploring what are some of the key or most important issues that have come up in the last week or the last month, even sitting in on customer support calls. We always talk about customer support, but of course, you can do this with any with folks from any department, sitting in on sales calls and so on. But there's also another aspect of this, which is the whole beginner's mind thing. Because not only is it important to get to know and, and interact with these folks and create relationships, it's really good to understand or to observe what the implicit processes are that are sort of underlying the communication within the organization. And sometimes you have to step back, put yourself in sort of an outsider's shoes, and pay attention to the processes and ways of working in the company. You might see some things that may, don't make sense or it seem like could be improved, and those are things to note down. And then over time, as you get experience and you start to build reputation within the company, you can often start to solve some of those not optimal processes. So take somebody out for coffee, talk to somebody new, and have an open mind. Exactly. Awesome. And number three, metrics. Just figure them out. I mean, step one to evaluating whether or not you're tracking against a meaningful outcome is figure out what you're tracking. So the simple the simple step today is if you don't already know every metric that's being tracked, go talk to people and just compile a list. And then from there, there's the opportunity to start culling the herd, to start saying, hey, is this really important for us to track? Or great, let's keep tracking it, but maybe let's not make it 
part of our decision-making process and really focus in on those types of metrics or the feedback, whether it's qualitative or quantitative, that drives you towards real outcomes. Exactly. And then you can also take this a little bit further when you're working on creating and writing the requirements for new features. Make sure that you specify how you expect that feature to be used, both qualitatively and quantitatively, and how that usage will be measured. And maybe even write down the story of what the customer says when they get to use the feature. And note to self, not all stories end with, wow, that was amazing. Right. Sometimes they end with, what a relief. Or they end with, that was fine. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it's like, yep, that's what I thought it would do. All right. Well, now that we've covered the three things, talk to customers, take someone for coffee, and figure out what you're tracking. I think we can close this out by saying thanks to everyone for listening and especially those that have stuck with us since the beginning of our stop and start journey. We really appreciate all the listeners. We appreciate the ratings that we've gotten on iTunes. We certainly appreciate any new ratings that people want to give us on iTunes. And of course, we encourage you to subscribe, whether it's on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can go to our website at alltheresponsibility.com, all one word, of course. You can sign up for our mailing list. You can get show notes and we'll have some links and all kinds of other stuff around this topic and, of course, all the other podcasts that we've done. But seriously, the biggest thing that we ask of everybody listening is to go do the three things. That's why we call them out. That's why we make a big deal out of them because if you're not doing them already, you really should go do them today. Yeah, they're the fundamentals of product management. All right. Well, thank you, Nils. Thank you, audience. Thank you, Rob. It's been awesome. And until the next time, we'll see you all later. All right. Bye-bye. Fire. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition.